0: this is a relay project real talk starts right now here's ryan jesperson
1: it's wednesday august 3rd thanks for joining us here on real talk ryan jesperson john hicks Wednesday is a big day for us. We get our workday started a little bit early. We check in with our friend Sapriya Devetti in Toronto before we do real talk live at 8:30 uh, Mountain 10:30 Eastern mm-hmm. and we bang out seriously. Yeah. Our new podcast project, we've just released episode 3. It comes at you every Wednesday thanks to everybody that subscribes wherever you get your podcasts you can watch it, you can subscribe on YouTube as well and we appreciate those of you that take the time to check it out at seriouslypod.com. This mm-hmm. week we talk about the healthcare crisis across the country. We take a look at the final Federal conservative leadership debate. That goes tonight. We're expecting to talk to Jean Cherey tomorrow. The story seems to be more about who's not showing up tonight. Pierre Poliev and Dr. Leslie Lewis versus who is showing up. So it'll be interesting to see how that plays out. And then we touch on a story of a brew pub in Prince Edward Island that paid the price. Vandals flexed their muscles after the brew pub hosted the prime minister for lunch. We talk about partisan Vandals and violence—you can find seriously again anywhere you get your podcasts. How you doing this morning, pal? It's uh, kind I'm doing of a, pretty good. Strange feeling. This is typically how we kick off our weekdays, but it feels like we've been at work together. It doesn't feel like we have been at work together for three hours so far. I'm surprised you don't have your lunch going like you usually do.
2: You know, working with you, it's a joy, so it doesn't <laughs> uh, feel yeah. like it. Look at these uh, yeah. new mic flags. Oh, eh? uh, yeah. This.
1: People can check them out if you're watching Real Talk on YouTube. You know most of you download the podcast, but, yeah, if you're watching us on YouTube, these are fancy. Appreciate this. Aren't they called flashes? Are they mic flashes? This was always when you knew you made it at the early stage of your career. If you were a beat reporter, if you were covering news stories, or if you were in the sports scrums, mm-hmm like mm-hmm. after the NHL or the CFL or Major League ball games and you're you're in there with your microphone you're trying to get it in and you always wanted to get your mic flash in front of the competing cameras so you had a nice billboard of your station being broadcast on their station whenever they played the interviews that was mm-hmm. always the little win sometimes it's the little wins. We're going to be talking to podcasting phenom Wyatt Sharp in just a few seconds. You probably remember he joined us on the show. I don't know, maybe half a year ago or something like that. The guys like 13, unless he's had a birthday, we'll ask him since, but like just in in the midst of kind of that stage in your life where maybe you start to kind of sort of think about what maybe you might want to do at some point with your life. This guy is putting out shows Just like real talk. He's put three, four, sometimes five shows a week talking to some of the biggest players in federal politics. He's talked to basically half the premiers in Canada. And, of course, he's had international guests as well. Wyatt Sharp really doing a remarkable job. Uh, His political commentary, I don't know how you say this to him in a way that doesn't come across as a little bit patting him on the head. I don't want it to come across that way. But the the guy's like bang on. like he, He thinks... You'll see, you'll see it. I'll let it, the interview speak for itself. He's going to join us in about five minutes. He speaks like he's in his mid-30s, uh, and he's barely a teenager. So Wyatt Sharp will join us. And then coming up in about a half hour from now, we'll talk to Christy Clark, the former premier of BC. We want to get her take on some of the stories that are in the news right now, including the conservative leadership debate. I want to talk to her about Enbridge's investment in BC's long-delayed LNG pipeline project. You remember that, the terminal, the whole – I mean, this is supposed to be – 120, 130 billion dollar legacy project for at that time, Premier Christy Clark has been delayed for years. We'll get her take on that. Plus, Alberta-BC relations. You remember that? Back in the day when it was, you know, Christy Clark, Alison Redford, that era of Western Canadian provincial politics. BC and Alberta at odds, really, as both premiers were looking to get the best deals that they could. The point of contention at that point uh, was Alberta trying to get its crude to Tidewater. Alberta trying to get crude out of the province and across BC to those shipping terminals. I wonder if she would assess the current state of politics between Alberta and BC or any of the other provinces as any different these days. Uh, we'll talk to Christy Clark about a whole bunch of stuff. I got a whole bunch of questions, including the relatively polarized nature of politics across the country right now. Does she see that changing at all? I'm looking forward to that conversation. Plus, we have some of your emails printed off. Talk at RyanJesperson.com is where you can get us. We've got a great message from Elska who wants to chime in on our conversation, our Friday roundtable, the Real Talk roundtable, just this past Friday on the future of conservative politics in Canada specifically our guests invoking the word woke it resonated with Johnny after the con you remember after the round table we had a little back and forth about it and Many of you were in touch in the comments. Those of you that were watching the show live on YouTube. And of course, those of you that were using the hashtag RealTalkRJ after the fact. So I love Elska's email. We're gonna get to that. She doesn't love it, by the way. And then Ron and Grant have both chimed in to talk about healthcare. This is a story that's impacting Canadians, the healthcare story. And we get into it on seriously. I encourage you to download the podcast, but but it's almost like the dire warnings. From entire associations or unions or groups of nurses or doctors or healthcare providers hasn't necessarily resonated with Canadians as strongly as the anecdotal evidence that the primary care system's in trouble. And one of those bits, I think, of, of, of anecdotal evidence, this was a small advertisement that was taken out in a newspaper. You know, the Victoria, the Times Colonist. It's been the big paper out on uh, Canada's westernmost coast, or technically, let's say, on Vancouver Island. The Victoria paper, uh, this ad that ran has grabbed a lot of people's attention and for good reason. Uh, taken out by a senior citizen, and she's looking for health care for her husband. Nothing, well, I shouldn't say nothing major. We don't know what the prescription is. I take that comment back. But she's not looking for a cardiovascular surgeon. She's not looking for a neurosurgeon. She's looking for a licensed doctor to renew her 82-year-old husband's prescriptions. She took out an ad in the newspaper. She says, uh, we will agree to any reasonable fee. She says, Michael, her husband, 82 years of age, he's worth it. And we've exhausted all of our options. She says, our wonderful family doctor retired at Christmas. No walk-in clinics seem to be available. Even that TELUS Health app had no virtual appointments available for months. She signs off on behalf of herself, Janet Mort, and the extended family. They give their personal email address hoping that some doctor somewhere can help refill their prescriptions. Meantime, you've got Toronto General Hospital on critical bed alerts. You've got, I mean, indicators across the country that the healthcare system is in trouble and real talkers are chiming in on it too. And we appreciate your feedback. So we'll leave some time to get your emails today. Plus, of course, it's Wednesday. That means we're going to get out to the mountains. We enjoy that every Wednesday, a tradition courtesy of Tourism Jasper, my Jasper memories, and we're going to do it on bikes today. So I'm looking forward to that. Before we do, we want to remind you how proud we are to partner with sponsors like Sherwood and St. Albert Dodge. It's the time of year where a lot of families are looking to upgrade their rides because if you're like my neighbor Chad, who just picked up the new Ram 1500 I was telling you about, they need something to pull their trailer. Or if you're like a lot of other folks across the country right now, staring down a buck 80 a liter gas or $2 a liter gas or whatever they're paying in vancouver right now closer to two dollars and fifty cents if you can believe it you might be looking at downsize to get into something more fuel efficient maybe even something electric you'll find the entire lineup of chrysler jeep ram at st albert and sherwood dodge You can link to them under the Sponsors tab on our website. Look for them directly or go shop them in person. Let them know that you're there because of real talk. Our friends at Grand Dog Essentials Quality Raw Food want to remind you that they've got an Instagram account at Grand Dog Essentials with a ton of valuable information. Like maybe why your dog's bowl isn't working for them. You can check it out online. You follow them at Grand Dog Essentials on Instagram. And right now, this Mine Pet Platter, the one that we use with our dogs, they're on sale. So you can get them for a great deal. Across the country, they'll ship them. It's 30% off any size or color of the Mine Pet Platter from now until August 16th. That offer ends at midnight. You can learn more at granddog.ca. Our leadoff guest this morning is already a veteran of the podcasting business. He is a veteran political commentator, but he's just barely a teenager. Wyatt Sharp has interviewed Stephen DeLuca, Andrea Horvath and, and Mike Schreiner during the Ontario election. He sat down one on one with Canada's prime minister, Justin Trudeau. He's spoken to MPs in Ukraine, Finland's former prime minister, and he's been featured as a correspondent on Rogers TV, CTV Toronto, CP24, Sirius XM Radio, and other prominent stations. He joined us when he first launched his show, and now it's a pleasure to check back in with Wyatt Sharp, host of the Wyatt Sharp Show. Pal, how you doing? You're on the move. You're in the vehicle right now. Where are you headed? Uh,
3: headed to Toronto and. In- kind of the midst of traffic right now but uh, great to chat with you again
1: it's great to see your face hey help, help me clarify here are you still 13 or have you had a birthday since last time we spoke
3: no i'm still 13 you're
1: still 13 years of age and you've been hosting the wyatt sharp show for for what now i mean you're you're at least at a year aren't you
3: Uh, Yeah, about a year and a half since January 2021.
1: Amazing stuff. You and I started right around the same time, and uh, there's some distance between our years of birth, uh, but we have a lot of common interests, and and I have no doubt, I was trying to describe you to our audience about five minutes ago, and I said, I think I'll just let Wyatt speak for himself, and I think he will do a pretty good job of that, but for those that didn't hear you uh, during your inaugural appearance on this show, Wyatt, what makes you tick? How did you get into this? When did you first know that you wanted to host a show? And when did you really believe that not only could you make it happen, but it was time to make it happen?
3: I think it was kind of a combination of different factors, seeing how, um, you know, the various issues of, um, you know, that were having an impact on everyday folks, on everyday people uh, were continuously having a bigger and bigger impact. Um, Issues such as, you know, COVID was, you know, an issue that was very prevalent and a very major issue at, you know, the time. And it's kind of a major uh, point and and a major kind of timestamp during um, my work and and the work that I've done so far. But other issues as well that, you know, people seem to care about. Um, uh, Obviously, one issue that seems to be quite relevant right now is affordability. So, I mean, just covering those issues that are important to people are definitely Um, something that I find great interest in and being able to speak to people on those important issues. Definitely. Um, There's a lot of benefit to it. um, Not just for me as someone who's interested in it, but also um, people who watch it, I think obviously benefit from it, getting insight and and information from elected officials or journalists or experts on a certain issue, whatever their title is generally, again, just expertise uh, on a certain issue is generally quite valuable.
1: Yeah. It's, it's interesting to watch your show. And I do, I catch it on YouTube from time to time, and it's a show hosted by a teen, but it's not necessarily a show for teens. What do you know about your audience and and who do you tailor your show for?
3: Everyone, honestly. I mean, I think it's kind of being able to cover various issues. Some issues impact everyone. Some issues impact younger people. Some issues impact elderly people. I mean, it's kind of just the benefit of doing it is it's able to appeal to people of all age demographics. And I mean, obviously, as I just mentioned, there are some issues that seem more uh, relevant to certain age demographics. Um, But at the same time, even if say an issue is only relevant to say the younger age demographic, people of older age demographics are still going to take interest in it. So I mean, just covering issues again, that everyone seems to take an interest in is uh, one of the most valuable things about doing it
1: just a short time ago why just a few days ago you released an episode canada's health crisis how can it be addressed i mentioned that on this week's edition of the seriously podcast Sapria Devetti and i led with this it's it's arguably the top story in canada right now and it has a huge impact on people so who did you talk to and what's the impression you get on how the healthcare crisis in canada can be addressed
3: Yeah, well, the issue that you mentioned uh, specifically on Canada's healthcare crisis was filmed uh, and and recorded just after um, the Bowmanville Hospital, which is a relatively uh, small town within Ontario, but they closed their intensive care unit temporarily, um, which was something that obviously had a great impact on the patients that were there. They then had to be shipped over to other hospitals, but at the same time, it was an issue that many people were watching um, on a day-to-day basis, following it by the hour in the sense of you know, what were to say happen if um, you know, one of their loved ones had to go to the hospital, how um, that may impact the care that they uh, receive. And so I talked to uh, one of the vice presidents, the vice president that is responsible for the region that the Bowmanville Hospital is in. I talked to the NDP's healthcare crisis in that specific episode. But again, I've talked to lots of people on that crisis in particular. Um, through numerous shows. I've talked to the president of uh, the Canadian Medical Association before. So lots of different people, again, that provide lots of impact or lots of insight rather on some of these important issues.
1: What's it like for you to be conducting these interviews and asking these legitimate questions and and releasing these episodes that are providing value to people five years before you can even consider the idea of five years before you can head to the ballot box, five years before you can vote here, you are driving this conversation. What's that like that position being there?
3: To be honest, I don't really think about it that much because I just kind of think that when looking at um, my role, it doesn't really change. Like my age doesn't really change anything when looking at the way that I conduct an interview. Um, I ask relatively the same questions as uh, you know, many other journalists would ask with, you know, some exceptions, obviously. Um, But I think, again, it's just not really thinking about my age, but at the same time realizing that, um, you know, a lot of people take interest in my show. Um, And again, I don't really think that has a lot to do with my age. I think it's just um, based on what people tell me because they've been able to. Um, get insight for on various issues through my show.
1: Yeah, you've you've participated in scrums and and you you've been down in the press gallery at Queens Park and uh, you're no stranger to to all of that. It can be intimidating uh, for someone that's gone through journalism school. Somebody that's in a, the first ten years of their career, depending on the size of the scrum and the magnitude of the interview, yeah. you know, it can take some people literally months to get their first question, and that's just a fact. The dynamics of a media scrum are very electric aren't they Uh, how do you get treated in there
3: everyone's been like super welcoming i mean when i went to queen's park in march for example that was just before the ontario election campaign i haven't had much of a chance to go back yet just because the legislature is not sitting Um, but when i did go in march again just before the election i got to ask a question to mike schreiner the leader of the green party of ontario in a press scrum, and uh it was again everyone asked questions and i got to ask a question that was just standing there uh, as he was you know, standing in front of the microphone taking questions on basically the news of the day as um, kind of the purpose behind press scrums uh, is, is to answer questions on the news of the day. So I asked him a question relating to an issue that was prevalent uh, and relevant that day. And he answered and, uh, yeah, no, it was definitely great. And again, everyone's been super welcoming with Uh, Some of these experiences that I've had and in this case, again, with the example at Queen's Park in the media screens. Mm.
1: I'm going to be talking to Christy Clark after I chat with you, Wyatt. And one of the things I want to ask her about is is uh, is the polarized nature of politics these days and that that whole idea that people aren't really meeting in the middle. Anymore, Or at least it seems like most people aren't. And one of the fears that I have is that people are losing the ability to entertain ideas that are different from theirs uh, or even that directly challenge their ideas or their preconceived notions. I've noticed that your guest list on your show, you'll talk to politicians of all stripes. You cover the spectrum relatively uh, equally. I mean, obviously, sometimes the dynamics of who holds office means that you're going to talk to people that lean a little bit more a certain way, depending on the dynamic of where the electorate's going across the country from time to time. But how do you how does that resonate with you? The, the idea that society and certainly politics is, is more polarized now than it has been in past. And, and how does that inform how you host your show?
3: yeah I mean, I think it's kind of the unfortunate reality in many senses, but I also think that people have a responsibility um, to you know get out and and vote and to express their opinions. I mean, as an example in the last Ontario election, obviously people are unhappy with say Doug Ford and with the way that um, some people who are happy with you know Doug Ford, but a lot of people are kind of the counter argument to that as well, uh, they had a very low voter turnout in the most recent election campaign in. Ontario. So, I mean, yeah, I definitely think, again, it's the kind of unfortunate reality that um, politics in this country uh, has become, you know, polarizing to the extent that it has. Um, But I mean, at the same time, I think even me through conducting my interviews on my show and through speaking to various people, I mean, the politicians themselves, yeah, they disagree on numerous issues, but they're still able to work collaboratively in some senses and, and bipartisanly, obviously not to the extent that um some people may like or may want but i mean i definitely think again it's unfortunate the extent that you know politics has become so polarizing but i still think that there is that opportunity to kind of turn it around um and to actually have you know fair debate on issues and to actually have debate where you do listen to each other's perspectives and to each other's ideas
1: you've spoken to several canadian premiers including Alberta's premier jason kenny you talked to nova scotia's premier premier houston a short time ago kind of interesting one of them's on his way out uh, Kenney kenny having recently resigned and houston's enjoying some of the highest if not the highest approval ratings in the country what jumped out to you what were your impressions uh, following your conversations with those two premiers in particular
3: Uh, Well, I mean, I guess I'll start out with Jason Kenney. I mean, I spoke to him at uh, the end of 2021 in kind of a year-end interview with the Alberta Premier. So he was um, going over some of the various things that him and his UCP government had done over 2021, obviously highlighting the uh, COVID-19 pandemic. I mean, I didn't necessarily think at the time he would necessarily think that this is coming. and, And at the time, he had really no idea that he was going to be Um, have to resign after a UCP or not have to, but want to resign after a UCP leadership review. And then for premier Houston, I mean, as you mentioned, he has one of the highest approval ratings of any uh, Canadian premier. I mean, he's relatively well liked. I mean, I speaking, when I spoke to premier Houston, he was again, obviously like the majority of my guests, very um, uplifting, very nice to speak to. And uh, I found that again, with uh, premier Penny as well. um, And and with premier Houston.
1: You have a, potential career in politics, do you think, Wyatt? Or or, or do you think being on this side of the microphone, the one that you and I spend so much time on, is, is that where you feel your calling is? Is it too early to say?
3: I mean, I think, well, yeah, I think it might be early to say, but I also think through, like, my show and through talking to different people and just conducting my interviews that I definitely have more of an interest in kind of the conducting of the interviews, asking the questions of the elected officials and again i think there's a lot of benefit in getting the answers to you know questions that have an impact on people's lives and questions that people care about
1: yeah understanding what makes people tick uh is a is a fascinating line of work to be. And you know, one of the really cool things about what you're doing is, you know, you think back to the the sort of like college radio or or like pirate radio days or whatever, or the people you hear these stories of the great interviewers of all time that as as teens, um, or even kids would, would conduct fake interviews or do fake radio shows in their house and they'd record it on their tape player and, and they, they would one day dream of, of working for for you know a big broadcast corporation uh, you you would you would try to get a gig on college radio so that you would have a demo that you could send to some small town station you know in like Fort St. John BC or Timmins Ontario and you could say hey consider me i've got my read figured out and my pacing's not that bad and maybe i have a bit of name recognition and i'd love to start this career you, I mean, if people check out the Wyatt Sharp show on YouTube, and I encourage people to subscribe to it right now as they're listening, you're already starting. You've already got the platform. I mean, the industry has changed so dramatically. That, that may be sure some big network might come to you when you're 18 or 19 or 21 or 25 or 30 or whenever. Yeah. And if you have a big enough audience built up, you can you you know how all this works, Wyatt. You can monetize it and you can say, well, how much is you know this element worth to you? How much would you like to have this many people listening to your station every day? But at the same time, you don't have to. You're already building on the platform that if you wanted to, and unless technology dramatically takes us in a different direction, you could occupy and continue to build this platform for the next 50 years does that ever blow your mind that you've really technically
3: already started i definitely think that you know the way technology has kind of transformed the way that people go about their everyday lives has obviously had an impact on politics and news too and in many cases it may be a negative thing but um you know the people having such an easy ability to spread hate Um, But at the same time, you know, with my show in particular and other people's shows, I definitely think that, um, you know, it's an amazing thing being able to spread positivity in my case in the sense of interviewing people that in many cases are uplifting interviews, in many cases are interviews that actually um, uh, are on topics that people care about and in many cases are on topics that at the time are issues that are quite relevant in kind of the everyday news cycle.
1: I've got some interesting comments, and I want to read uh, what some of the folks that are watching us live right now on YouTube are contributing to the conversation. I like this one from Rob, and it resonates with me. Rob says, I don't see why we have to bother referring to someone like Wyatt as a kid, like he's a person, right? Uh, Rob says, as an instructor, I level off with my students and I refer to them as people which makes my sessions go a lot better. Why? You know what? Honestly, when I'm talking to you, and this is not just today, every time that we've spoken, I talk to you in the exact same, and it's it's not intentional. It's just the way it is. Uh, it's the way that you strike me. It's the way that you roll, as we say. Um, I talk to you in the exact same way that I talk to my 40 year old friends that i talked to my 70 year old parents do you know what i mean Uh, and and has that always been kind of the thing for you like i'm sure that you're popular with your peers it must have blown their mind when i I think you were 12 at the time interviewing the prime minister maybe i'm wrong but you had a one-on-one sit down with justin trudeau at 12 years of age which is completely mind-blowing and remarkable uh to get five minutes with the pm takes some journalists Years, Quite frankly, uh, there's a lot that happens behind the scenes. Has it always been like this? Do you think have you always sort of thought ahead uh, in the sense that, that maybe it makes it even difficult to relate to, to your peer group?
3: I mean, I don't think any of them necessarily take the same interest as I do. They yeah. take interest in, say, sports, which I mean, to a certain extent I do, too. I played uh, baseball this summer and hockey in previous uh, years as well. Um, but I think that, you know, I obviously have different interests than some of them, but it doesn't necessarily change the way that I go about kind of talking to them or, or relating to them. I mean, they might have a hard time relating to me and some of the stuff that I do through my show and stuff. Uh, but I definitely think that they've still been, you know, super supportive and super, um, in some cases, interested. We've watched some of my interviews in my last year's class uh, when I interviewed the PM or when I interviewed um, the premier of Ontario the year. Um, before in 2021 as well so uh, yeah I definitely think that as I said it's been uh, great and, and they really have shown support.
1: Uh, uh, Donna says Wyatt you were doing a great thing here she wonders if you get insults from adults that might not agree with you. Do you have your own trolls?
3: Um, I mean occasionally like any other journalist would I mean I definitely find that there's some sense the other day I had someone on Twitter talking about how 13 year olds shouldn't be working in media. So I mean, definitely to a certain extent, but um, not necessarily, I would say to the extent that any other journalist would or beyond what any other journalist would. And I mean, generally, you're doing something right when you get people like that. commenting on some of
1: your stuff Ah, you got it all figured out i like that like any other journalist would wyatt uh you're killing it keep it up i'm so glad that we had a chance to to check in before you go double duty as host of the wyatt sharp show and then back to school again in the fall Uh, wishing you a wonderful rest of your summer and and keep in touch i have plans i don't know about you wyatt but i have plans for the two of us to check in with one another for the next half century or so i hope i'll be around for it
3: absolutely thanks so much ryan it was great chatting with you
1: again buddy you got it that's wyatt sharp uh he's host of the wyatt sharp show you can subscribe to that on youtube and you can follow him on twitter uh of course we release the or we share with you the the handles of all of our twitter guests every morning from our official account at real talk rj you can follow real talk on twitter instagram and tiktok Ooh. Yeah, pal, no big deal. All the kids are doing it. Real Talk is on <laughs> TikTok. We, we, we thought after the fact that maybe we should have named our account Real Talk, like Real T-O-K. But that would have been awesome. Yeah, it would have been good. But we wanted to have the uniform handle Real Talk RJ, so there you go. Keep it professional. Yeah. Speaking of professional,
2: what a kid. What a guy. What a guy. What a human. What a
1: person, like uh, Rob a, said. What a person. Yeah. But, but what a kid. Yeah. Like, <laughs> what a remarkable and and it's not like and i meant that when I, and and rob's comment was was bang on uh but like i find myself and i was thinking it before i articulated it out loud is that i'm interviewing wyatt and i love saying his name that's my son's name too yeah, wyatt to me is just like it's like you know come on what a what a name um but interviewing wyatt or talking to wyatt you don't talk sort of in a way that's like did you know that the premiers from the pro? No, man. The guy knows. Like his interviews aren't like. What would you say to all my fellow thirteen? No, he like hammers them on healthcare policy and asks about their aspirations and holds them uh, that their feet to the fire and totally impressive. I can't wait to see what he's doing when he's twenty.
2: I can't wait. He's on your heels. Yeah.
1: Well, maybe we'll do something together. Who knows? I don't know if he needs us. I don't know if he needs Relay. I don't think that he does. We're going to talk to Christy Clark coming up in in, uh, 10 minutes or so. I wanted to leave some time for your emails. Before we do that, I also want to remind you, hey, can we call up those Shalane photos? You know those ones from the family reunion? How cool was this? We heard from Shalane who sent us an email, and she says, check this out. She says, I thought you might be interested in seeing this. Friesen Brothers catered our annual family reunion just this past weekend this was just a few days ago she sent these to us yesterday she says the highlight or one of them was the meal catered by friesen brothers she says and of course for good measure i was rocking my real talk snapback cap at a girl shalane that made our day to see it she picked up her snapback cap under the merch link on our website had to plug it obviously she says but when i rocked that cap it actually led to a discussion by a group of us we realized around the family reunion dinner table that there are many real talk fans in the Matson family. She says, "So how great is that?" She says, "From the Matson and the Ferguson families, thanks for the real talk and thanks for the recommendation to have Friesen Brothers cater our." Family reunion. We love it, Shalane. Thanks so much. Thanks for sharing the photos with us. Thanks for repping the Real Talk snapback cap. And, of course, we're glad to hear you enjoyed your Friesen Brothers catering. You know, they have a team of Red Seal chefs, the hot and ready-to-go stuff. They've got, the, of course, from scratch ingredients as well. If that's where you'd rather take your reunion when it comes to mealtime, Friesen Brothers in 16 locations across the province of Alberta. You can learn more at Friesen. Hey, I wanted to give another shout out to our friends at Grand Dog Essentials. Let me show the screen. We weren't showing the screen before. And this mind pet platter that they're talking about, this is just a bonus mention for our friends at Grand Dog Essentials. This is the pet platter that we use with our dogs. It's not a bowl. You can see it's got the little indentations, the border there, the divots. It keeps your dog sort of mentally stimulated while they eat, And it translates to better digestion. You can check it out by following Grand Dog Essentials on Instagram and check out granddog.ca as well. Also, a big shout out to our friends at Kubi Energy. You've probably heard about this Green Homes Grant, this federal incentive, a $40,000 interest-free loan is available right now from the feds. If you want to get solar panels up on your roof, there's never been a better time to do it, especially if you're aware of your bottom line. And who isn't? These days, you can request your free quote from Kubi Energy today at kubienergy.ca. And don't forget, they have Tesla certified installers. Everybody that's handling your install is either going to be uh, a ticketed uh, journeyman or an apprentice. And so it's a professional job done right the first time with Kubi Energy. We wanted to leave some time for your emails. Uh, of course, we're so grateful when you share with us how the show is resonating with you, uh, where your mind is at with either the stories we're talking about or in some circumstances, the stories were not. And that's equally as valuable as you contribute to the editorial direction of the show. Elska sent us an email following our conversation on July 29th. That was Friday, our Real Talk Roundtable with three of the participants in this upcoming Center Ice Conservative conference. It's in Edmonton. It's on August 11th. I'm participating in it as a moderator, and Christy Clark is as well. She'll be joining us in a few minutes. Elskid checked out the roundtable. We sure appreciate it. Uh, says, uh, I've been listening to that episode, the discussion with the the center ice conservatives. And and I want to request with all future political guests on Real Talk, when they use loaded terms, in this case, wokeism or identity politics, Please ask them to define them. The reason I ask is because living in Alberta, wokeism and identity politics are oftentimes used as boogeyman terms of the big bad left. I've repeatedly asked conservative voters who use those terms what they mean and they can't seem to articulate. I'd like to see if the people that they're learning these phrases from are able to define them any better. The reason I ask is because Center Ice is making the claim that they're socially progressive. So where do do they find a difference or where would they draw the line between socially progressive and being woke? They use the term identity politics as something endemic in the NDP. And I'd like to know specifically what they mean by it and why the conservative appeals to what you might call old stock Canadians or the Quebecois idea of the pure lane, Uh, How do those not qualify as identity politics? I mean, of course they do. Elska says in all kinds of media, it seems politicos use these and other dog whistles, but are rarely confronted by the question of what they actually mean when they use them. So it would be refreshing to have somebody ask, I don't know, maybe even a roundtable discussion with people from all over the political spectrum to discuss the meaning of these terms and others like them. That could be helpful for your audience. Elska says, I really do enjoy the show. Keep up the interesting subjects and guests. Amazing. I love it. And I love the idea of that roundtable. We could call it the, the, uh, I don't know what we'd call it. We want to have a real catchy name to it. But yeah, just hone in on the phrases, on the phrases people are invoking and get people to debate back and forth if they're fair. Well, first of all, what they mean. Second of all, if they're fair. And then we go from there. I love that. I love roundtables that don't have too much direction to them either. That's kind of the whole point, right? We all pour ourselves a coffee, uh, or maybe if the timing is right, a cold one. I mean, it is like 11 a.m. in Ontario when we're doing it. And we try to solve the world's problems. It's a tradition every Friday here on the show. We also heard from Ron, who wrote in the subject line Cancer Talk. And Ron said, "Uh, Ryan and crew, I'm uh, catching up on Real Talk episodes. Thanks very much, Ronnie says, I was listening to last week's episode where you and Charles Adler, this was last Monday, talked about Danielle Smith's comments about cancer, in particular, the first three stages. Ron says, maybe it's because it's raw, but I found myself tearing up. Hell, I'm tearing up as I write this, thinking about my dad. He passed away of cancer back in March. Uh, Ultimately, he succumbed to metastatic prostate cancer. In other words, stage four metastasis metastasized prostate cancer. My dad was my best friend. The one I told everything to the one who raised me by himself for most of my life. Ron says my dad had surgery back in 2016. Back then, the doctors at university hospital told him that if he had not gotten that surgery, when he did, he would have been gone in six months. That surgery got him six more years. Danielle Smith's comments were extremely personal. They resonated in that sense. They were extremely hurtful to me. And I hope she comes out with a full-throated apology for those comments. To be clear, when I'm writing this, I'm not angry. This isn't trash talk. I just had to write you to say something. I love my dad with my whole heart, and I miss him every single day. And my heart goes out to every single Albertan, every single Canadian who has lost someone to cancer. He says, and a shout out to all the healthcare workers. They saved my dad's life. They bought him six more years with me. Not from Ron. <laughs> That's amazing. Ron, thank you. I'm sorry for your loss. You have a beautiful way of articulating your pain and how that interview resonated with you. We have seen Danielle Smith try to walk those comments back in that debate down in Medicine Hat. We recapped it. I think it was mid last week uh, with Ashley Joannou, a post media reporter, a legislative correspondent. Uh, You can watch that episode of Real Talk for yourself and determine whether or not Danielle got herself out of that hot mess. And Grant wrote in to suggest subject matter on Real Talk. We love these types of emails to talk at RyanJesperson.com. He says, the other day, my family and I chatting around the coffee table discussing our healthcare system. It's what so many Canadians are talking about right now, isn't it, Grant? He says, having recently had a surgery and hearing about this lack of access to doctors in Alberta, we started to discuss what possible solutions there could be for this problem. He says, you always seem to have good insight into issues, or at least you find the people that do. So we were hoping to get your opinion on this, on maybe a hybrid public-private healthcare system. And if that might work, if doctors were required to have a certain percentage of patients or hours in the public system, and then the rest of their work could be done in private practice. To add incentive to work in the public setting, anything over maybe the minimum requirement could come with a tax break on the income they earned if they chose to work longer or more hours than the minimum. Grant says, I dream of a scenario where doctors want to come work here because of progressive or intuitive initiatives. That from Grant, a public versus private healthcare care roundtable. That could be a good one. This feels like a perfect time to kick off a conversation with the former premier of British Columbia, Christy Clark, joining us on this Wednesday morning. Thanks so much for making time for us. Welcome to Real Talk. This is your debut interview, in fact.
4: It is, Ryan. Thank you for having me. Yeah, where are you coming to us from? Most
1: people will hear this on the podcast, but but for the benefit, I mean, those that are seeing it on YouTube, look at the 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 setting behind you, the scenario. What's what's that wood design? That's beautiful.
4: Yeah, it's just it's just just some wood on a wall. It's a, I'm in Vancouver, okay. this is how we get you it. Know, we got a lot of wood, so that's we, what the, we uh, use
1: it. Yeah, that's what the, the, the installation, wood on a wall. I love it. Uh, let's get right to it. I've got a ton of questions for you. I want to ask you about polarization in politics. I want to ask you about the debate that's coming up tonight. Two of the participants getting more airtime for not taking part than those that are showing up. I want to talk to you about who the next premier of BC is going to be. We'll talk a bit of LNG. There was some investment news on that. That was supposed to be one of your legacy projects. But let me ask you about this email first from Grant, a real talker that subscribes to the show. He wants to know, you know, about the viability of a hybrid system, a public private healthcare system. There's no doubt the system's in crisis across the country right now. When you were premier, is that something that you had meaningful legitimate conversations about different approaches that could would certainly be political hot button ones, but that might actually work.
4: Yeah. You know, it's really, um, it's kind of a it's, it's a, it's reflective of our politics today, I think, that people don't even want to, you can't even talk about private care in Canada and lots of parts of Canada without kind of being accused of slaughtering the old sacred cow. And I think we have to talk about it because we, our healthcare system has been held together kind of by just like, it's been hanging on a thread for years because we have the second most expensive per capita healthcare system in the world after the United States. And we spend a ton of money on it, and we can't do it just through the public uh, public realm anymore. And so, anybody who talks about, but anybody who talks about adding some private care, like they have in Europe and in Sweden and in France and in Germany and all those countries that we think probably have better healthcare systems than us, they do because they allow a parallel private and public system. And now, COVID has just tipped this system that's been just so close to breaking apart right over the edge, and. I don't know how we are going to recover without being imaginative and innovative about allowing allowing more private care to be part of what we do without without getting rid of our public system but just allowing it to also to operate in parallel like they do in every other country of the world. In a couple of like just off the top of
1: your head what would be a couple applications where you'd like to see room for that discussion or or integration of more so-called private care?
4: Well, I think the easy things are making sure that every, you know, you can get, you can pay for an MRI, you can pay for all of those kinds of tests. I think that's one thing. Get rid of some of those waiting lists. But, you know, um, British Columbia, until this new NDP government came along, had the second most private care in Canada. And we had the Canby Surgical Clinic, False Creek Clinic and a few others that were doing surgeries um, they weren't all. They weren't doing life-saving surgeries because those aren't allowed under the Canada Health Act. But they were doing. They were mending knees and hips and helping people with you know problems that were debilitating, keeping them out of the workforce, um, and and re- really ruining lives. So there's a lot of people that can come out of the public system, get out of the lineup, make space for people who can't afford it or don't want to pay for it. And you know, I just think. Somebody's got to be there to take on the load. Every like more than fifty cents of every dollar that you send to your provincial government goes into healthcare, wherever you live in the country. How can we sustain that when well, we also want to pay for education? We want to pay for seniors' care. We want to pay for environmental protection. All those other things that are important. We're either going to have be paying just for healthcare and nothing else, or we're going to have to figure out how we're going to uh, support this public system better than we have.
1: You've you've got the highest-ranked hospital in Canada, Toronto General, uh, announcing that they're one of the top 10-ranked hospitals in the world. I just saw a list just last week. So this is a big hospital in Canada's biggest city. They've got a a critical care bed shortage right now. You've no doubt seen the ad that was taken up. I mean – Let's all, oh my gosh, do I, even want, I don't know if I want to go here. I'm going to say the ad taken out by a BCC, we assume this to be valid. I have no. Re- I mean, it could have been posted by, of course, anybody that wanted to make a point and make national news, but I have no reason, the, the empathetic side of me has no reason to believe this isn't legitimate. This ad that was taken out in the Victoria Times colonists, a, a woman looking, looking for a, a prescription refill for her 82-year-old husband. She can't find a family doc to do it. I mean, if you uh-huh. need anecdotal evidence, the system's broken, there it is. BC's current premier, John Horgan, as if I have to tell you, chairing the, the first ministers, obviously all of Canada's premiers just a short time ago, called out Ottawa, said it's your job to fix this. You know, you've got Quebec and BC and Alberta seeing eye to eye on, I guess the one thing that everybody can see eye to eye on, but the critics of that approach aren't certain that it's Ottawa's fault. Uh, so if you were still premier of BC and you were chairing that meeting, what would your message have been, not just to Canadians, but to the federal government as well?
4: Well, I think, I mean, there are two problems that the federal government is responsible for, and I think the one that John Horgan and, and New Democrats generally want the feds to focus on is something that we all should care about, which is they we entered into this health care agreement with the feds a long time ago. They were going to put 50 cents on every dollar, and in lots of provinces like B.C. and Alberta, they spend um, less than it's some places it's 20 cents on the dollar so all the rest of that is being picked up by provincial budgets and it's not sustainable so there's that money side of it but then at the same time though the ndp government in british columbia has been out there voraciously shut like ten tenaciously shutting down private clinics which are have been the the safety valve for our public system and it's they really haven't made it worse they haven't made it better the federal government plays a role in that because the canada health act includes a basic ban on private care only quebec has been able to get around that no surprise because they have a very different system from everybody else in canada and you know if if we were allowed if provinces were allowed the freedom to innovate in healthcare to allow more private care into the system then first of all it would be it would be way cheaper and second i think the competition would make the public school system or the public uh, healthcare system better. Because competition, I mean, there's nothing worse, uh, the only thing worse than uh, a monopoly is a government monopoly. And that's what we have in healthcare.
1: I don't know if it was a Freudian slip, if that's the proper application of the phrase, but competition in education, that's another one a lot of people are talking about. I don't know how much attention you're paying uh, to the United Conservative Party's leadership race, a leadership race to determine Alberta's next premier. But Daniel Smith, the perceived frontrunner, has talked quite a bit about different options in private education, including, I think, reaching out to homeschoolers and, and trying to find favor with them. Where do you think it is, whether it's health care, whether it's education or otherwise Across the country, uh, there there are, uh, of course, very loud advocates, very passionate advocates for the public system. And a lot of, of Canada's uh, history, I think, has been built on that and built on having a strong system. But like you alluded to earlier, whether we're talking about health education or otherwise, there doesn't seem to be a real public appetite or ability to meet in the middle and talk about these things, to debate these things. It seems like everybody has their flag planted on almost every issue do you think that's new or do we just notice it more now
4: i think it's new and it's old ryan so it's a terrible answer let me explain i think that um we are we canada has always been a really disunited country we take it i just don't think most people realize how close canada always is to falling apart we are way less united than americans we don't you know they rally around their constitution they argue about it passionately but it binds them together they had a civil war they had they had all these events and massive events in their history that they can look to that kind of bind americans we have no such Um, story in Canada and no such real document that binds us together. I mean, Quebec didn't even sign on to the constitution when it was finally repatriated in Canada. So, I mean, so think about that. And now think about where we are today. I have never seen Western Canada less attached to the country than it is now. And you feel that in Alberta more than anywhere else. But you know, I think in Alberta, Saskatchewan, people are so angry at Ottawa and at Quebec. Quebec is so angry at the West. British Columbia, I just don't think really is attached at all to the rest of the country. And then you look at all the regions of Ontario except for Toronto. I mean, really, if you boiled Canada down to the people who really thought about how, what it, you know how we wanted to keep it all together, it would be people in Toronto. And you would find a lot less unanimity of opinion in the rest of the country. So we have a country that is held together by a, just threads. We have a prime minister who has been the divider in chief for all for for ten years now, talking about all the things that make us different, all the people who are on the inside and all the people that who are on the outside. What's you know what is it that makes you a worthy Canadian and what makes you count and what makes your your views acceptable and unacceptable, and that's I think taken a toll on this country. So. You know, when we don't have someone in Ottawa who is talking about the things we hold in common as Canadians, and that is, I would argue, the principal job of any prime minister. Always talk about the things that bind us together so that you can hold the country strong. Um, When you don't have that, we are really imperiled. And then the third thing is we now are, you know, in the sort of era of, I would argue, angry politics. I just you know we're i think we have stopped listening to each other on an individual level and you know we've got a problem with the divider in chief in ottawa but you know we can't fix that if we don't talk to each other because if we are always angry and yelling at each other and rather than trying to talk to someone and find out what it is that shapes those beliefs that you passionately disagree with then how do we build a democracy around that if we don't talk to each other then we elect politicians who don't talk to each other. And if we elect politicians who don't talk to each other, we don't have a democracy that works anymore. And I am really concerned about the future of this country.
1: Yeah, and I share your concern. I want to circle back on a couple of things in just a second. I'm not sure that Quebec is mad at the West. Like you said, I just think Quebec doesn't really care about the West. Uh, And maybe there's a difference there. And I want to ask you in a second what you mean about B.C. You're not sure it's even connected to the rest of the country. Where are B.C. residents, proud British Columbians, most different from the rest of Canada? But let's follow along these lines here. You talk to, you know, you refer to the prime minister as the divider in chief. And there would be evidence from some people that may argue the Trudeau supporters would say, well, he's, he's siding with decency and he's calling a spade a spade when it comes to the freedom convoy. And what do you want him to do? Mince words about Confederate flags. But I do think it's fair to, to suggest or point out like you have that Justin Trudeau has had a divisive nature to his communication because he's not been afraid to call things how he sees them. Same goes with Pierre Poliev, who, in my mind, is going to run away. And I don't think I'm saying anything profound with the conservative leadership. And I don't think you can make the argument that he'd be any different. In fact, it might be even worse. And so yeah. is there any reason for hope in the future? I mean, who's the one that maybe can bring people together? <laughs> I mean, is it is it Chuck Meat Singh? Like, with all due respect to the federal NDP, he's not forming government. No offense to anybody that might vote orange. So are we just screwed?
4: well i you know i think what happens is when you have a divider at leading the country what it does is it breeds more division i mean you i I, you know i I would argue justin trudeau is more responsible for creating the 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 you know creating the opportunity for pierre Polyev than anybody else because you know when you divide people when you tell them that they're what they're what they're saying is unacceptable that you're you're not allowed into the halls of power the court, but no one's going to talk to you nobody's interested in what you have to say other people get angry. And, you know, I, what we what we needed Prudhoe to be doing was to try and bring us together and act. You know, I I mean, my approach to politics, Ryan, has always been because I led a coalition party. I am pro-choice 100% down the road, and I really care about that as a feminist. But I had a lot of pro-life people in my cabinet and in my caucus, and I respected them, and they respected me because I understood where they came to that opinion from. I didn't agree with it, but I didn't say it was unacceptable speech. Now, hate speech is unacceptable. No doubt about that. Swastikas unacceptable, un- unacceptable. But, you know, there are so many other issues in Canada where we really do profoundly disagree. But you, we have to be able to talk to each other. Societies that cease to be able to have civil discussion Around really really difficult ideas, re- lose their democracies and watch it slip away. Watch their societies decline very very quickly. And so, um, I you know yes I think that Trudeau was the you know was the beginning. And I think that Pauliav I agree with you. I think it's I think it's it's he's made it worse. So you know I I I a long time ago well a few months ago I said I really hope Jean Charest gets into the race because I worked with him. He was really smart. He is he led a coalition in Quebec. He understands how to talk to difficult or to people who are difficult for him to agree with. And I think he talks about he understands the things that bind us together as Canadians. So, um, you know, he got into the race. I think you're right, though. I think it's going to be a real uphill climb for him.
1: Yeah. So, I mean, the implications for the federal conservatives and we look at this in terms of the viability of the party to win the next election, to form government. The stakes are high of course, and and it's been a couple of disappointing leaders in a row for the Conservatives, quite frankly. Andrew Scheer and Erin O'Toole, by the numbers, haven't fared poorly with regards to the votes that Canadians cast, but they haven't been able to win where it counts. Uh, When you look at when the dust settles here, and obviously we're asking you to look into your crystal ball, but you're going to be speaking at this conference on August 11th, this Centre Ice Conservatives uh, Conference. We were talking about it during our Friday roundtable as well. You're the keynote there. Uh, They want to talk about the future of Conservatism. They want to talk about who speaks for the so-called mainstream or middle Canadians. Have you finished the keynote yet? Do you know what the takeaway is? Can you, can you give us like, what's the message you're delivering to these folks that only have right now this leadership race to watch, to form their opinions on what the future of conservatism looks like? What's your take?
4: Well, first I'm talking to liberals and I, could, I mean, I should, Ryan, I should tell your listeners, I have been a lifelong federal liberal mm-hmm. and but I, but I'm a fiscal. I'm a, I'm pretty clearly a fiscal conservative. We ran the the slowest. We had the slowest growth in government of any any government in Canada. We had the lowest taxes in Canada. We had the best job creation record in Canada. So, but I, having said that, though, I would say to conservatives and liberals, think about who you. You are the people who are in charge of deciding who gets a chance to be prime minister. That is a hugely important responsibility and duty to your fellow Canadians. Find someone who is willing to talk to people with whom they disagree. And you know, for me, it comes down to being able to talk to people with empathy. That means sitting down with someone and saying, okay, I disagree with you, but I don't think that you are the sum of your beliefs. I don't hate you because I disagree with you. I don't refuse to talk to you because I disagree with you. The only way we're going to keep Canada together, Ryan, is if we make sure we can still talk to each other and overcome what seem like insurmountable hurdles of of difference of opinion between us because we are all Canadians, we are all human beings, and everybody has come to their opinion, from somewhere, their life has shaped them, their ideas have shaped them, their education has shaped them, their family has shaped them, their experiences, understand that, their faith has shaped them, understand that. And then have a conversation as two human beings. And then I think if we, if we act with empathy and understanding toward one another, and we don't reduce people to just being their beliefs, we can come together again as a country, and and I think we can we can save. I think what's uh, what has really become a democracy that's that's in peril.
1: I had a really powerful conversation with like an executive leadership coach off the air. And she talked about the trend of, of how we dehumanize people. And there's evidence of it everywhere. And sometimes you don't realize when you're doing it. Hell, I've made comments on this show where I have dehumanized people. And it's a learning exercise. But, but I do think that empathy, you know, that idea of this seven steps of highly effective people, you know, the, the idea of seeking to understand. It's not seeking to endorse. It's seeking to understand. You know, I just talked to this 13 year old Wyatt Sharp right before you, this remarkable young journalist and his idea of wanting to understand what makes people tick. It's, it's admirable. Let's go back to what you, your observation about the people of B.C. You know them well. You are one. Uh, you said you're not even sure that B.C. is connected to the rest of the country. Where do you see these? How many? How many million? Six, six million people in B.C. Something like that. Five million people. Yeah, what? I think we're five. Five them. million. How are they most different from the other thirty three million?
4: Well, I think, you know, Pierre Trudeau did observe this. He said, you know, you could you could end Canada at the Rockies and just, you know, let British Columbia go. Um, And, you know, to be fair to him, I kind of I think that British Columbians feel as much kinship with I mean, British Columbians obviously feel more kinship with Albertans, I think, than anybody else in the country, because there's so much Uh, so many family ties across borders. But I think many British Columbians would say they feel just as connected to Seattle and Washington state and California. um, than as they do to the rest of Canada, culturally, we are very profoundly different from the rest of the country. Um, And I, you know, I just think that sort of comes from the physical barrier uh, between us and and, Maybe just the difference in the way our history has grown up. You look at the way we've negotiated uh, First Nations treaties. Um, that's all been settled differently than the rest of the country. It was settled on an American model, for example. We and we um, we were, we were the only other place in the country that, um, other than uh, Quebec and Ontario, that fought an American invasion and won. Hmm. Well, when they when they when they came up to try and take over British Columbia. So and we've had a long history of labor unions versus kind of the capitalists, which has been more entrenched here than anywhere else, I think, in the country. So there's just all kinds of cultural things that are really different. And I, you know, if you I know there's people listening from across the country, but I have to say this. I think that most British Columbians would say, you know, when you live in British Columbia, why would you go anywhere else? And I don't think there's that many people in BC who travel across the country, except to see family.
1: Yeah. Or to buy a house. If you want to own a house, Sometimes you got to move east. Uh, sometimes you got to you got to cross the Rockies. But it but it's it's not always. And I I mean I, all I know is you know from my viewpoint. You know I was born and raised in Alberta. I did my university in BC. I love BC. My brother and sister are raising their families in in BC. And of course it's a beautiful part of Canada. Um, you butted heads with Alberta premiers trying to get the best deal for for your province and for your citizens when it came to pipelines. When it came to moving Alberta crude. Um, I don't have to think too far back. And again, I'm not painting the actions of a few to describe an entire province or two for that matter. But uh British Columbians not enthralled with Alberta's COVID policies or public health in Alberta early on where we're slashing the tires of and smashing the windows of of license, you know, like Alberta plate bearing vehicles that were in the shoe swap or in sycamoose doing houseboating trips or what have you. I mean there has there has been kind of a tension uh, between the two provinces based on industry or otherwise. Uh, do you perceive that differently now that you're out of politics? Or do you think it's the same as it always has been? Does it flare up based on wine bans or pipelines? What's your observation?
4: Yeah, I think it does flare up a little bit sometimes. I mean, you know, I think with the, the COVID stuff was, it, in my perception of it anyway, was that people just, we weren't supposed to be traveling between provinces and people. Yeah. And British Columbians were really very... Um, I, you know British Columbia has a very high uptake on the vaccine so I think you know lots of people here were kind of just more well you know kind of more wanted tighter COVID policies and they wanted people to observe them I think that was more what it was but I you know on the pipeline stuff I was trying to figure out how to get the pipeline to go across British Columbia and I knew that because that you know some of the, the oil producers in Alberta didn't didn't really have a good grasp of how to talk to British Columbians about it because BCers spend a lot of time outside and a lot of time in the environment and people are really, really concerned about protecting our oceans. So we came up with the five conditions, which I thought was a way that we could ensure that British Columbians had confidence that this was going to be safely done um, for for the gateway pipeline. And, you know, ultimately it didn't get there, but we did land the biggest private sector investment in Canadian history. We got the first LNG plant up in, Uh, you know, under construction now we are they are getting that pipeline through slowly but surely we did all that work. Um, And, you know, I think that could lay the groundwork for um, for a, a route, a pipeline route across northern British Columbia. Once we've established those long term partnerships with First Nations in British Columbia and people really start to see the benefits of it. So I don't think all that is dead. And the beginning of that work got done. It didn't get done as quickly as it needed to, though. It's a, And it's too bad because we need to be shipping our oil to the world today and our natural gas to the world today so that countries can depend on a democratic country with high environmental standards where workers go to get well paid, go home safe every day, and don't have to depend on the autocracies and the the countries around the world that frankly just don't give a damn mm-hmm. about looking after the environment or the people that they that they serve
1: Yeah, I mean, that's the whole ethical oil premise, like Ezra Levant's whole thing that, 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 you know, you want to buy from Canada. I'm just not sure that anybody actually, quite frankly, gives a shit about that, like including Irving Oil in eastern Canada that imports all of it. So, I mean, these are these are corporate decisions. These are profit driven decisions, too. I mean, of course, the public, I guess, can vote with their wallets to a certain degree. Let me ask you, generally speaking, there's this is, uh, you know, we'll sort of piggyback off this report in the Globe and Mail from a few days ago. Enbridge will acquire about a third, a 30 percent stake in the Woodfire LNG terminal in BC obviously this project has taken longer than anybody anticip well th- than many people anticipated probably including you we've seen some politicians mostly conservatives muse that you could never build a railway across the country these days it's it, it's it's sort of a comment or an observation <laughs> that has a lot of subtext to it and they've certainly insisted that they don't believe and Alberta's premier has said this that you know he's not sure you can you could build a pipeline across Canada anymore either do you think you could I mean with proper consultation with indigenous even uh, co-ownership or investment with all of the boxes ticked do you think you could still build pipelines in Canada
4: well we do I mean we're doing it and that was we, we I went out I spent five years doing this six years doing this Ryan we um, went out and we signed 60 agreements with First Nations across the north and we are getting that pipeline built and you know people will be aware of the issue with the wet su- wetsuitan wet su- um, in northern British columbia but you know that is going to get it is going to happen and um it's underway right now how do you so, think it's going to happen yeah, what has to
1: change do. it doesn't look like it's going to happen like it's it, it, it's a contentious part of the i mean part of the province right now that wetsuit and blockade yes. uh what do you think yeah. has to change or what do you think is going to change you say it's going to happen how
4: well you know i mean the the issue for them is a really unusual one with we, we made agreements with all of the um all of the elected councils up there, five of them. And, you know, they got they got get turned over every couple of three years and then every single one of them reaffirmed their support for the pipeline. So it was really well established that this was going to happen in that region. And then some folks who said that they were elected chiefs, some of whom actually were and some are sorry, hereditary chiefs, and some who others would argue were not. Um, I came up and decided that they were going to try and stop it. So it's a very small group of people up there that is trying to stop the pipeline. But, you know, it's like, it's one of those, the pipeline's going to take a while to get built. There's lots more other parts of it that also need to get, we have time to get that resolved. And I believe it will get resolved because the other First Nations along the line want it. And so does that community want, they want the jobs, they want the economic benefits. And Ryan, uh, you know, the reason I became so passionate about um, natural resources and LNG in particular is because I care about Indigenous reconciliation. And, you know, we governments love to do all of their apologies and all of their commissions, and that's that plays a role. But it is nothing compared to what we need to do to try and address poverty. First Nations have terrible addiction rates, suicide rates, child protection rates, health um, outcomes. Not because they don't have enough apologies. They have they have terrible outcomes because they have they live in poverty. And the only solution to poverty is wealth. So it's resource development, it's pipelines, it's all of that opportunity, giving First Nations a cut of the benefit from um, the resources that's on their traditional territories. That's what's going to solve the problem ultimately. That's the most important piece of Indigenous reconciliation from a government perspective. I mean, so the taxes don't go to making government bigger. Some of it goes to First Nations instead. Guess what they're going to do with it? Mm. They're going to spend it in their communities. They're going to spend it on their families. They're going to buy a car. They're going to buy a fridge. They're going to buy their kids blankets and send them to hockey school. They're going to do all the things that parents do with money. And that money will stay in our economy It will be part of a a, a big project of reconciliation, which we must do, and it will improve outcomes for that, you know, growing percentage of the population that has continued to suffer from colonialism. I I don't see any downside to doing that. I think it's exactly what Canadians should be proud of doing.
1: Let me ask you this in closing. There's no way I can have you on the show and not ask you about the race to become BC's next premier. The Daily Hive declared it about a month ago. Attorney General David Eby is unofficially BC's next premier. There's not exactly a dogfight to replace John Horgan. The list is a short one. And then, of course, you have your former deputy premier, Kevin Falcon, who who wants to win government back for the BC liberals. What do you make of John Horgan's successor, the implications, the strength, the trends. What do they say about the B.C. NDP, the B.C. Liberals and otherwise? What are you doing watching from the sidelines? What's occurring to you?
4: (laughs) Well, it is funny that the new Democratic Party um, has just like this will be the second leader that they elect without any competition. I mean, you know, the thing about B.C. Liberals is we fight hard. I've, you know, Kevin and I went head to head in 2011. It was uh, 2010 and 11. It was tough. But, um, you know, and Kevin had a tough go this time, too. He had five challengers or something. So, you know, I, I don't under, I don't understand why nobody wants to be the NDP leader. Um, it's a much more sought after job in our party. But um, I think Dave Lehigh is right. I think that um, he's going to go in uncontested. He'll become the premier. And my guess is he's going to call an election pretty quickly because he, I think he's going to, you know, want to get out there while he's still popular, while his name's in the news. The longer you hang around, the less popular you get. Um, it's, I know that because by 2011, when we actually had the fixed election date, because I believed in sticking to fixed election dates once they'd become the law, um, we were twenty points behind in the polls going into uh, going into the writ period before we won the election in twenty thirteen. So you know, um I think I think it's going to be a tough race. I think that um you know, the NDP are very popular. John Horgan has been very popular. You know, it's been the covid kind of bounce that premiers have had most premiers have had across the country, I should say. Jason certainly didn't benefit from that. but um I think it's gonna it's I, I don't know. I I can't tell you who's going to win if it's an early election. I think it could be. uh, I I can't tell you. I I don't think there's an odds on favorite at this point. I think Kevin's earned his spurs. He's really shown some. He's got a lot of experience. um, But um, David Eby is new and fresh for lots of people. And the NDP are very popular. So hard to say what people are going to go for experience and kind of that long term wisdom and a government that's going to be fiscally conservative in a in a recession, or are they going to go for a government that's, you know, that's popular at the moment with a new guy at the helm. We'll see.
1: You mentioned Jason Kenny. That's a, that's a hell of a thing. Hey, eh? like, it looks like the, the, the race to replace him. I, I hate to say it. The party's going to emerge weaker regardless of the outcome.
4: Well, you know, and you know, Ryan, I, got, I just want to say this, cause I know you have a lot of listeners in Alberta, just honestly, Get it together, elect somebody who is electable, because otherwise you're going to end up with Rachel Notley's the premier again. That is I mean, that is the alternative. If you look at the polls in Alberta, uh, there were a lot of people who support the New Democrats. This isn't the old one party state of Alberta that, nope. you know, that Ralph Klein and, and uh, all those guys had the good fortune to govern. The UCP has to elect someone who is electable someone who isn't crazy, someone who's going to be middle of the road, someone who's going to do the things that I we were just talking about, who's going to be able to talk to people with whom they disagree with empathy, who's going to be able to sit down around a table and have civil conversations with a wide array and diversity of people who's going to listen. And, you know, I thought that Jason did a very, I thought Jason did a great job as premier. I remember I came out on Twitter that night when he resigned and said that I thought he'd been great. He'd done a great job in the country and for his province. And I don't think I've gotten more insults um, on my Twitter feed than from any. And I think it just tells you Alberta is too divided at the moment. And you need a leader who's going to bring people together. Is there one that jumps out uh, at you? You know, know, I'm not going to kind of take sides. I can tell you it's not Danielle Smith. And uh, because I haven't seen her do much except be angry and divisive. That is exactly what's going to elect an NDP government in Alberta. It's she's a, and Rachel Notley is a hair's breadth away from coming back, and God knows, Canada needs Alberta to be successful and wealthy and contributing to our country. We need Alberta to be united.
1: But can Alberta and, not be that under
4: Rachel Notley? Well, you know, well, you know, Alberta could be united, but I'm not sure any new Democrat is going to make Alberta a great contributor to Canada. Economic growth really depends on having leaders who understand that the economy is based in the private sector, not a growing government sector, that less regulation rather than more is good for growth, that low taxes are good for growth. Investing in infrastructure like roads and and railways and education in order to make sure that your population is trained. I mean, all of those kind of thoughtful um, things that are, you know, it's pretty it's pretty basic understanding of the economy, but New Democrats generally think, if you grow government, if you grow regulation, if you grow the cost of government, that you're going to have a better, a better province. And there isn't any evidence in any country of the world, in the developed world, where that has turned out to be the case. Freer economies, a bigger private sector, a smaller government, um, public se- private sector wages that keep up with the public sector, all of those things, low debt, um, all of those things mean that people can have more take-home income, more spending money, and that's how economies grow, and New Democrats just don't get that.
1: Christy Clark will deliver the keynote at the first annual let's grow Canada conference. It goes August 11th in our home city of Edmonton. You can learn more about it at CenterIceConservatives.ca. Thanks for doing the show. It's been a pleasure to chat.
4: It was so great, Ryan. i really appreciate you having me.
1: Yeah, you bet. We want to continue to have these conversations and real talkers. We want to know how you feel about what you've just heard. We covered a ton of ground and I left about a million questions on the table, but for New listeners potentially in B.C., those of you that are joining us from Quebec, were you fairly characterized? What about those of you in Ontario? How are you perceiving or what are you thinking of as you watch Alberta's UCP leadership race? The potential of a, uh, a new Premier Danielle Smith or Premier Brian Jean or Premier Leela Ahir or Premier Travis Taves. And the list goes on. Raj Insani and, of course, Rebecca Schultz. Uh, and others, who am I forgetting? Todd Lowen. Respect to Todd Lowen as well, who wants to be premier. Well, I don't know, respect to Todd Lowen, but, uh, you know, I'm not supporting or endorsing Todd Lowen. Leela here represented herself well on the show yesterday after wrestling, taking a bull by the horns and telling us, living to tell about it, <laughs> living right. to talk about it on Real Talk. I think she resonated with people.
2: I th- uh, she, uh, yeah, she's, she's relatable. She's, she's not. Very-
1: a, she's not the front runner in in fundraising yeah. or or in buzz or earned media as they call it. I
2: feel like you said like you could bump into her at a scrum or whatever, and it'd be a normal conversation. Just have a normal. Yeah. Chat. There wouldn't be like a this veil or window in front of you. Yeah. yeah.
1: Like put it this way, when we had our new baby. Uh, two months ago, yesterday, uh, Leela reached out privately and and just said like, "Hey, congratulations and much love to Carrie." And how's Wyatt doing as the big brother and all this? And I wasn't mm-hmm. like bullshit. You know, when you hear from some politicians, you're like, "Come on, man, what do you want? You don't care. <laughs> yeah.
2: What do you want?
1: Yeah. You just kind of don't get that sense with her." But you know. I'm not endorsing a candidate for United Conservative leader, but hey, I, was, I was impressed with
2: Lili. She's yesterday. a vegetarian. I'm, a... <laughs> <laughs> that's all, that's I'm all naturally you, drawn to that's all, yeah. yeah. <laughs> hey, we
1: talk news, politics, and pop culture here on the show, and I want to talk pop culture with you. I want to p- pick your brain on a story that just gives me the heebie-jeebies in just a I second. Think I know what you're talking yeah, about. Yeah, you know Dane Cook. But, <laughs> but before we do, let me remind you, also happening on August 11th, not just that political conference, but it is Miracle Treat Day, and our friends at the Dairy Queens of Northwest Edmund And Sherwood Park, that's Palisades de Mayo, Newcastle, Westmount, and Baseline Road. Want to remind you how important this fundraiser is for the Stollery Children's Hospital Foundation. Blizzards sold means money raised for the Stollery Children's Hospital. So circle Thursday, August 11th on your calendar. Now, what sets our Dairy Queens apart? uh, They donate all their Blizzard sales, John. There's no technicality. It's not the proceeds from or the profits from mm. Dairy Queen eats the loss, they don't call it a loss, those are my words, ill-chosen, they eat the price of that Blizzard, and so if your Blizzard is like $4 or $6, or if you're like me and you get the mega-sized one, every single cent goes to the Stollery Children's Hospital Foundation. They go above and beyond at the Dairy Queens of Northwest Edmonton and Sherwood Park, and they take pre-orders as well, so if you want to get Blizzards for like your entire team at work or all the kids at the summer camp or whatever, you can pre Order, uh, you can just contact your Dairy Queen in Northwest Edmonton or Sherwood Park for all those details. The Blizzard of the Month, by the way. Coffee crisp. Mm. Yeah, that's the blizzard of the month right now. It's a perfect time for you to check out Athabasca University, that's Canada's online university. If this feels like the year for you to take a step forward or maybe a step in a new direction, maybe you have newfound optimism around a career opportunity, or maybe quite frankly, you're just sick of what you're doing and you need a change, you don't need to wait. Till fall to visit AthabascaU.ca. You learn at your own pace. The online programs and courses offer flexibility. That's why tens of thousands of Canadians every year enroll at Athabasca University. Park Power powers our hashtag every day at Real Talk RJ. And we want to remind you that they are in the business of putting cash in your pocket. That's right. In a number of contexts, Park Power is saving you money. If you bundle services, electricity, natural gas, and internet, you're going to save on admin costs. If you have solar panels on your roof, they're going to buy back your excess energy at a better rate than the big guys. Plus, when you sign up, use the promo code 2022-REALTALK to knock $70 off your first bill from Park Power. You saw Page Six reporting this. Uh, Comedian Dane Cook. I love, by the way, Page Six, their bio on social media says, if you don't want to wind up on Page Six, don't do it, (laughs) which is a great bio. Dane Cook, 50 years of age, engaged to his longtime love. They say longtime love, Kelsey Taylor, Mm. who's 23. Now, Dean Cook, let everybody know that after five years of dating, after five years of being in love, he was proud to pop the question. People are doing the math. They're going, well, she was 18 at the time. He's divulged that they met when she was 13. Mm. But says the 50-year-old comedian, we waited till she was 18 till we started dating.
2: (sighs) Questionable. And I've I've I'm of the mind social, that, I like, have you know, age is just a number, but usually, like, you know, you the line is, like, you can date someone half your age if they're over 18. I thought it was right? half your age plus seven. You, you can't be 30 and date a 15-year-old. Half I'm your saying, age plus seven, yeah.
1: <laughs> no, that's, you can't be like, half.
2: If it, so I'm thinking 23. I'm like, oh, if only she was 25, you know? Because I remember me when I was 23, like, I was... I still kind of am, but I was an idiot like her. She's going to you know what I mean? She's going to wake up one day and I'm sure there's relationships out there that have worked like this. But she's going to wake up one day when he's, you know, 65 and she's 40 and be like, "Uh, maybe this wasn't the best decision.
1: Well, she has granted a couple interviews where she said the one thing that we have to talk about is is that when and I mean, you never know what happens in life. But she says when when we die, there will be some distance between it there will be some distance between well yeah, she'll when have a second life <laughs> yeah she'll have a second life You literally go second of dollars.
2: life, right like yeah
1: yeah so. i don't know i just saw uh, it's 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 one of those things where and and i went in this deep dive yesterday and i started to read the comments on the page 6 tweet and i started to read what people were saying online not good uh not good i mean it's just it's a tough look um, and a lot of people sort of push back and and say that there's gendered or or uh you know patriarchal implications to to this People started to bring grooming. People started to bring other celebrity names into the mix. And I started to learn things. Well, I was learning things about people outside of, let's say, for example, the sports arena that I had no idea about. Like Carl Malone was Mm. one example. The Utah Jazz great. Arguably the greatest NBA power forward of all time. Yeah. Uh, Although is LeBron James a power? No, he's like a a big guard, isn't he? I digress. Carl Malone, I had no idea fathered a child with a 13-year-old when he was 20. I heard about this. Like, how was that off the general public's radar for his entire NBA career? A member of the original Dream Team, like a first ballot Hall of Famer, uh, now I think the third all-time NBA scoring, uh, all-time scoring, right? I think it's like Kareem, LeBron, and then Karl Malone, Mm -hmm. I think. Uh, I mean, it just blew my mind. And I don't know how stuff like that isn't more in front of the general public. Don't you think people would care if they knew? How many people do you think would have been wearing Carl Malone jerseys in the stands if they would have known that? (laughs) Or maybe they would have.
2: Not many. I don't know. But yeah, there's a lot of celebrity couples with age gaps, but they're just they're just kind of closer, like you know, like Jay-Z and Beyonce. It's like twelve years. I think Leonardo DiCaprio and Camille or whatever, it's like it's like twenty-three years, but he's forty two, she's twenty two. So it doesn't, that's still kind of like, uh, but like when 50,
0: when you think about a 50 year old and a 23 and year old, they've
1: been in a five year. But So when he was 45, 50 and 23 doesn't sound as bad as 45 and 18, 45 and 18 it, is like, all what sound, <laughs> are you doing? 45 and 18 it all is sounds
2: like, bad, but I'm just saying like, yeah, the, the, the story that's out there about how they met when she was 13 and that, that's just, uh, yeah, yeah, Ew. yeah. Yeah. yeah, Mark <laughs>
1: says I'm around fifty, and this is just gross. <laughs> yeah, uh, Luke agrees. The formula is typically half plus seven. Like I think it's half your age plus seven. The plus you, seven is key.
2: How do you not? How do you hang out with her and not think of her as a kid? You know what I mean? Well, maybe he like does. Know what I mean? like maybe that's the whole point. Maybe like that's the not, root of the problem. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> yeah. All right.
1: I'd say you can let us know what you think about this, but I don't know. Maybe, maybe someone, you know, we'll probably hear from somebody that, that's in a marriage with someone that's 30 years their senior or 30 years their junior, and they can shed some light on where they find the common ground.
2: Well, Tracy just said here, having worked in rural Alberta, I see many wealthy farmers, many young ladies in their 20s with 40 plus years difference. Wealthy farmers or marrying in their 40s, young, young ladies? Sorry, not really? 40 plus years really yeah
1: okay that wasn't on my radar Yeah. i'm trying to decide which advertiser wants to go first after the dane cook love story
2: <laughs> Can we have a break here Can i think it's local environmental
1: else? services <laughs> sponsors of trash talk every friday emails to talk at ryan keep it local some people say it's only garbage if it stinks like this dane cook story but not to them. Local Environmental, in all seriousness, believes that communities deserve better, better service, better prices, and more support for local causes. Visit localenvironmental.ca today if you live in Alberta or Saskatchewan and let them show you how they can help. Our friends at Eden Landscaping want to remind you about their track record, bringing outdoor spaces to life, a custom landscape builder with more than 20 years of on-the-ground experience in Edmonton and surrounding area they've earned the referrals and the return business of so many clients and customers that have agreed to have their properties their finished product if you will featured on eden's website at landscapeedmonton.ca you can browse their portfolio learn more about their services and contact mike and his team for a quote today from eden landscaping At Apex Automation, if all this talk about industry and career movement is resonating with you, if you're a skilled engineer or a soon-to-be engineering graduate, take five minutes today and check out apexautomation.ca. They're giving people back their time. They're providing intuitive, fully autonomous solutions to industry, and they are building their team year over year. John, you know that this company has quadrupled in size in just a few short years wow why because they're providing flexible hours professional development opportunities there's a company culture that keeps people at apex that you don't find across the engineering profession necessarily you can learn more at apexautomation.ca
2: you know we've quadrupled in size as well the last (laughs) few years you're correct you're bang on about that as a matter of fact three shows yeah, this is uh
0: st-
1: this growth is uh we're buckled in we're buckled up we got the hedge pod it's you you people can check out the hedgepod.com you're talking sports including fantasy and betting every single weekday we've new got episode. seriously every wednesday
2: new episode today
1: produced yeah. by you just doing a Killer job, a bang up job.
2: I live here. I got an apartment in the back here. Yeah. I was
1: wondering what that was. <laughs> it's
2: I was wondering what that just was. Just a cot and a coffee machine. <laughs>
1: We're happy to have you, pal. Eating Sapporo Ichiban noodles so. five times a week and just giving your all. You can learn more about our shows at relaydigital.ca. Every Wednesday, our friends at Tourism Jasper give us a chance to like fill our lungs with fresh air, at least metaphorically speaking. A lot of us do it by tapping into our memories. Our my Jasper jasper memories and today we want to let you know about a new opportunity to experience jasper in a way that you may not have previously it's the bites on bikes particularly the bites on e-bikes tour yeah that's right there's a new tour in town it includes biking delicious food and lots of mountain views This is the Jasper food tours, bikes, bites on e-bikes, a four hour tour packed with delicious restaurant stops, e-biking through some of the most beautiful areas of the country and interpretive touring at some of Jasper's most iconic locations. So you're going to get to try out the Lemonade and Chili Verde at Moline Canyon Wilderness Kitchen. I've eaten there. I absolutely love it. Vegetarian options, too, Johnny. Then you get to dine Ooh. at the Fairmont JPL, the Jasper Park Lodge, and then a delicious and scenic dessert at Takara Restaurant. I almost don't want to talk about Takara Restaurant because I feel like it's still an undiscovered gem in Jasper. <laughs> but the whole point of this segment is to it. share the wealth. Yeah. And so, okay, we'll tell you about Takara. It's one of our family's favorite must-visit stops when we're out there in jasper national park now riding these e-bikes it's tough to put into words how fun it is so you've got like the fresh air the human-powered speed but you've also got that effortless acceleration that comes with the e-bike it feels like a casual sunday drive three or 25 kilometers estelle blanchette leads these jasper food tours she's known for all the best spots she gets those instagrammable shots johnny Yeah, you know, it is an adjective, Instagrammable. She's going to make sure that your photos are unbelievable. They operate Tuesday through Sunday from 2 to 6 p.m. all summer long. You can check out jasperfoodtours.com to book today. In other news, now that it's August, you can soak up the last month of summer with a getaway to Jasper where you'll find many more opportunities, adventures like canoeing, hiking, wildlife watching, and more. You can check out more at slash real talk and don't forget to share your photos your videos with us on instagram on twitter by hashtagging my jasper and real talk rj your memories could be featured on a wednesday right here on real talk so the final conservative leadership debate goes tonight minus a couple of prominent individuals, Dr. Leslin Lewis and Pierre Poliev, will not be there. Jean Charest will, and we expect that we'll speak with him tomorrow to recap this. Of course, we're also going to follow up on the other stories of the day that we're covering. But again, we invite you. This is our call to action to let us know what's resonating with you. What's your family talking about around the dinner table, your friends around the coffee bar? or around those campfire conversations that have, of course, such a wonderful time of summer. Talk at ryanjesperson.com is where you can send us an email. We'll see you again Thursday.
0: Real Talk is hosted by Ryan Jesperson. Executive producer, Josh Dunford. Technical producer, John Hicks. General manager, Katie cook Chivers. Account Coordinator Lawrence Durlego. Human Resources Lena Shepherd. Website Design Mike Johnston. Voiceover by me, Carrie Skelton. Real Talk's editorial board is Sapria Duvetti, Ahmed Ali, Brandy Morin, Anne Castleman, Corey Hogan, Harmon Candola, Catherine O'Neill, and Chris Henderson.